All right, y'all can seat, can sit. Seat, sit, just plop it down. There we go. All right. I will tell you that I was conflicted with the, with the message. You see, one, I'd been looking at this, this track here, and there was one that given all the, the current environment and whatever else, that, some, that, that God was, was talking about this justice and whatever else. But at the same time, my soul was getting troubled. And at the, at the same time, I, I, it was sort of like I had a sermon that I thought, that'll go really well and that'll be very powerful and, and whatever else and very timely. But there was just this other part that, that said, but this, there's this other part that's gnawing at me and it's been gnawing at me several weeks. And that's not to say that any of you are gnawing at me or causing discomfort. But here's what God was laying on my heart. We give Satan too much credit. We give him too much responsibility. We give him too much power. We give him too much authority. We give him too much information. Talked several weeks ago, it was just a, a slight thing. There was a book years ago, and it was probably one of the, the things that stuck with me. It was called Familiar Spirits, and it talked about the idea that, that it, it started with, with basically where Abraham and Sarah had been engaged, not, not engaged, but basically they were in the midst of a drought. And they went to a kingdom in order to, to seek shelter, but because Sarah was very beautiful, Abraham was, af- was afraid that somehow, you know, he'd get killed. So he was trying to protect his own neck. So he basically cooked up the story that Sarah was his sister. And so that would keep him alive and her alive and whatever else. Well, of course, because she was beautiful and the king thought, well, sure, why not? Because he's the king after all. That, that he gets, he basically takes her in as, as one of his wives, only to find out Sarah is already married. And the king is not happy because you don't take another man's wife. So we need to tell David that, right? Okay. You don't take another man's wife. And so now he throws Sarah and and Abraham out of the kingdom. Well, down the line, basically, you get Sarah then repeats this the next time through. And then years later, Isaac repeats the same thing without having any knowledge of this. The sin had carried because that was what they were raised in or what what was cultivated in there. That was, that was intellectual enough to realize that we, that we pass on our own sin to someone else just by virtue of not really repenting of it, giving it up, and doing anything. We can pass it on unwittingly to other generations. But the one that came out was talking about the difference between God and Satan. You know, most of us would, would like to, to hear messages as though God and Satan are these warring powers and whatever else. Well, here's, here's three things about God that we know. And I'm going to use the big words and see if you, if you know, just for the entertainment for me. He is omnipotent, he is omniscient, and he is omnipresent. Now, I'll give you kudo points if you can tell me what does omnipotent means. He is all-powerful. Omniscient, he is all-knowing, and omnipresent. He is everywhere. Satan is not. 
Satan is not everywhere at once. He has to be invited. Satan does not know anything unless you tell him. Satan has only the power you give him. But I am not about to tell you that Satan does not exist and Satan's all in your mind and something that's an internal struggle and whatever else. Satan is very real, but Satan was tossed out of heaven with nothing. Satan had nothing to start with when he was Lucifer and basically following God's instructions and in charge of the worship, and he wanted to be worshipped as well with, up there with God, and God doesn't share power. What comes up then is that we go through life with the idea of devil made me do it. Devil's doing this. Devil's causing me to sin. Devil's causing me to think right. Devil's causing me anxiety. Devil's causing this. Devil, 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 devil. The problem is that within us is a spiritual battle. And the spiritual battle, I I think, stems out best. There's a Native American, um, not really parable, but basically a story. Grandfather was asked by his, by his grandson um, about, about the, the nature of good and evil. And the grandfather said, there, is, there are two wolves at war in each one of us. There is a good wolf that, that seeks out the good and the, and the right and everything that is, that is just and, and righteous. And then there is the one that seeks out what is selfish, what is, what is desirable, what is, what is evil, and all of that. And they were constantly warring. And the grandson said, but which one wins? Who, which one wins? And he said, whichever one you feed. We have a spiritual battle at war within us. You see, God is everywhere. And regardless of whether you ask him to be there or not, he is still there. First of all, because he loves us. But sometimes we take this love as something that we just take for granted. Well, God's going to love us all the time. So we can do whatever. That, that's us letting Satan in. We're giving him power. You know, j- just this little bit. You, have you ever seen um, The Emperor's Last Groove cartoon? Okay. Well, there's this d- dumb guy that's basically serving the evil queen or whatever. And he's got these little, these little things on each shoulder. And it's really entertaining. But it's basically the, the time old tradition. You see it in the cartoons and whatever else. You got the little angel on your shoulder. You got the little devil on your shoulder. And in this one, basically, it's the angel is always kind of square and whatever else. And the devil's all about excitement. And that's always what seems to, to come up. We, we look at politics. We look at the, the, the scene we've got in church. We've got everything else that comes in. And Satan doesn't have to do anything to get you completely off. We, we think of, of, of Satan's work as this is the way I'm going with God and this is the way Satan wants me to go. No, 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 no. You remember we talked about the, the whole, whole idea of hamartia, which is the, the definition of sin, is missing the mark? You remember talking about that? What do you have to do to miss the mark? How much do you have to move? Just a little bit. That's all Satan's ever trying to do is get you a little bit off. Because if you're a little bit off, you'll get a little more off. And a little more off, and a little more off, and a little more off. Until all of a sudden, you're shooting clear over here, clear off of what God's doing. God has every power at his fingertips, if you will. He provides for us whether we deserve it or not. We, we, we talk about God being a just God, 
But let's hit the reality. God is not a just God. God does not give us what we deserve. Amen? God rescues us like a, we, we talked in seminary about lion theology and monkey theology. Monkey theology is that God swoops in and you who once rescued grab onto the other side of, the, the underside of, of mama monkey and mama monkey runs off into safety. Lion theology is that little lion cub gets himself in trouble. Mama lion comes in, grabs him by the scruff of the neck and carries him out. We want God to be that lion that whatever we do to get in trouble, that God's always going to rescue us. That's not how God works. God works that way occasionally. When we go, I am so far in, I am so sorry. But you see, that's where we go back to being monkeys. We're asking God for forgiveness. We're asking God for salvation. We're asking God for, for, repent, for, for rescue. And God is faithful and just to do so. Doesn't mean we get completely off scot-free. My dad always had a, a thing when I was growing up. And by the way, I never invoked it. So just claim that. He said, I know that at some point you'll probably get yourself in trouble. You'll be drinking somewhere. It'll be cool, whatever else. And you'll be too drunk to drive home. I want you to know that if you call me, I want you alive. Beyond anything else, no matter whatever else happens, I want you alive. So you can call either me or my best friend and there will be no questions asked at that time. No yelling, no screaming, no nothing. Because you already know you, you done messed up, so we're not going to get into that. And we'll deal with consequences later, but you'll be dealing with consequences alive as opposed to dead. By the way, his best friend also happens to be the dad of my best friend. And his dad said the same thing to him. And basically what it came down to is if we got in trouble, we would call the other one's dad, we would be taken home, and then, of course, there was no yelling and screaming. Do you see a problem with this thought when two best friends tend to be the ones that get in trouble together? Well, there was still no questions asked. But that's the idea that we come with with God, is that we expect God to let us off scot-free. That's where God is just to let us suffer our consequences at times. But going back to this idea of giving Satan too much control is we want to think that we can, abs- we can absolve ourselves of any responsibility. Everything that's happening to us bad is because, because Satan's making it happen. Satan's trying to do this. Satan's doing whatever else. The problem is we've let Satan have a, have a key to our apartment in our brain, in our soul, and everything else. Tony Evans, when he was going through the, the sermon... And I, I keep telling people, you listen, you listen to Tony Evans for eight hours on, the, on the, uh, the armor of God, and it's hard to really shake that without somehow getting about eight hours worth of spinning it back out for some application. But he talked about that within this, that we come into this idea where we basically give God the, the, either full access to our lives, which then pushes everything else out because now God's, God's got that, God, when we become saved, when we, get, when, we, when we receive that justification, that salvation, he talked about the, the helmet of salvation, we have a spirit that is sealed. It is a sealed spirit. The problem is our soul and our body are not sealed, and they are constantly at war for this. Our soul is basically our mind, and that's where we continue to take in things or push them back out. We have to take responsibility for the fact that when we let in some worldliness, we either have to 
put it up against what God's word says because we know it that well, or it just comes in and it infects something. And then we put a little more on there and a little more on there and a little more on there. How many of you have ever had, had people that had like heart attacks or things like that? You had blocked arteries, things like that? Okay, do those blocked arteries happen all of a sudden? Like all of a sudden you ate a, you ate a big greasy steak and all of a sudden your, your veins are all, your, your, your arteries are all clogged up now because you ate that one steak, right? No, little bit of time, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. That's where we allow Satan to come in. See, because we give Satan the, the, the key to the, the apartment because we think he's going to be fun. Or we, or we think it sounds like we're justified. It comes in with things like, no, you don't need to do that. You deserve it. And it could be anything from what you make for a living or what other people do or they don't work as hard as you or whatever else. Comparable, comparable, comparable. And all of that keeps you distracted from what else is going on that is the big picture. Because Satan, believe you not, is looking at the big picture. Because if he can keep you enslaved to that little bitty sin all the time, if he can continually keep you off the track off the mark, off the target, you'll make a habit of it. And every time that he can get you this way, if you don't replace it, if you don't correct, come back to where where God says, this is the standard. We talk about the standard a lot, raising a standard against it. The standard is the drawn line. This is it. This is only it. We have drawn the line in the sand. This is where it stands. It does not move. The standard is in this book. This is the Bible, by the way, just in case you didn't know what I was holding. This is the standard that God has drawn. The standard does not change by God. And only when God changes his mind is God still able to change his mind while still remaining steadfast in who he is. Because he loves us, and that is the core standard. But we, just like the, the Egyptians, the, not the Egyptians, but the, the Israelites, we, we, get a, we get an inch and we take the mile. Well, God rescued us from this so we could do something else. Well, we complained about this so we can, we can complain more about it. And eventually God calls us on it and draws down wrath over our poor attitudes. Drawing this back into the significance of being followers in this time and this place. And when I say in this time and this place, I mean here, you and I. We have to stop accepting the idea that as Christians, we can be the followers of old, where basically we just walked through the desert and the standard at the time was just to be obedient. You would read the Torah, you would observe the, the commandments, you would do what you were supposed to do. Everything was, was in right order, because when Christ came, Christ came to fulfill the law. Amen? The law that was set was not meant to be just the bottom line, it was meant to be the starting point. It was to me the foundation. God's word is the foundation that God sets for us to have our lives built upon because it is all about his character, his salvation, his love, his power, his knowledge, everything else about it. When we look at, at Job, now I, we, we, we bring out Job a lot about suffering and whatever else, 
But I want you to, I want you to hear the understanding of, of Satan. And I, and I want to draw back. We, we tend to put, when I say we give Satan too much power, Satan gets this big S all the time. I want to read out of the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. Satan is lowercase s. It is translated as Hasatan. Hasatan is little more than devil's advocate. He's the one that asks the questions, that challenges God on this or whatever else, but he has absolutely no authority whatsoever. He just tries to, to put these little things away, and the decision is God's. The decision is ours as far as what we give. We're going to jump to first, first chapter 6. Now, now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Those are the angels, by the way. And Satan, Hasatan, also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Like there is none like him on the, I told you these pages stick, on the earth, blameless and upright. And we talked about blameless and upright is literally he obeyed the law. That was it. He wasn't anything spectacular or anything. He was obeying the law. He was, he was cutting the line, towing the line. Who fears God and turns away from evil. When Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In short, Satan takes Job's property and children. We'll go to that. And the next thing, again, second chapter, first verse. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the, before the Lord. He wanted more, more like prestige, right? Oh, I'm going to present myself. I, I can get your blessing too, sure. Nope, you're out. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. That's what you get when you get thrown out of heaven. You just get to walk the earth and make trouble. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Listen to this. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hands, only spare his life. So Satan went out from his presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Hold on. I threw an article in the middle of here. All probably for two words, I would guess. 
took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. No offense. Shall we not, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all that Job did, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, if you read the rest of the the book of Job, what you find is despite three friends that couldn't keep their mouth shut long enough to just be a friend to him and wanted to incite, you must have done something. That's, that's Satan. That, that's, that's Hasatan. And no one, no one puts Hasatan on top of it. It puts the, these little things of you're suffering, so God must have made it happen. That's Satan. That's those little things where we, where we take the scripture and we allow someone else to inject something in that is not scriptural, but we don't know the scripture enough to know that it's not scriptural. And so we come in and say, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that must be right. Yeah, that sounds logical. One of the, the greatest things that I got the first, the first quarter I was ever in seminary was taking a, an introduction of theology. And the very thought that I had was, oh, well, we're going to come up with all these random things and whatever and inform and we're going to put it all together. And the first thing that my theology professor said was theology is logical. It is in the title. Theo, about God, logi, the logic of God. It is, it is rational, it is logical, it is provable, it is solid. If, if your theology does not match up to that, your theology needs to change. Now here's, now here's the problem, is that when our theology brings in this, in this idea that we are somehow God's bouncers at the door deciding whether or not someone gets to come in, that's not scriptural. When we come on the other side and we say that God loves us so much that we can come in as we are and stay as we are, sinful as though we are, because God loves us so much and we're going to go to heaven anyway, that's not scriptural. There are, there are both sides to every one of these arguments, but the ones who do not understand doctrine and theology are waving around like this all the time, and they're, and they're going to get, well, they're going to get dizzy. And so many of us stick our, stick our stake in the sand just because we're tired of being dizzy. And the problem is we don't stick our, sand in the, our, our stake in the sand on what is solid. We stick it in the sand just so that we can stop moving. And we are somewhere off of center. That's why it's so important to, to hunger, to hunger for Scripture. Because here's the thing is, is yes, you go and be, you're hungry and you eat. And maybe you forgot what you ate. I can tell you what, I can still tell you what a Nebraska grain-fed cow tastes like on my plate, medium. And I haven't had one for years. By the way, I'm going to have one next week. But I can tell you what that tastes like because it is a standard by which it is set. But when we stake in the sand on something just to, to, to stop moving around, we lose focus on what God's plan is for us. 
We have to hunger so much for the scripture that anything that comes out that we go is that our first thing needs to be, is that what God says? Because we're in a society that wants to rewrite God into a place that, make, that, that makes God look like them. There's a, there's a Newsboy song that said, said I don't, I'm, not, I'm not fashioning a God of my own design. We constantly are in a society that wants to make God into our image. We want to take away the scriptures that are uncomfortable. We want to take away the tension that makes us uncomfortable. We want to take away all of the challenge that makes us actually use our God-given brain because we want it easy, because life's difficult enough. I'll tell you what, if you don't know it now, you ought to know it, but if you don't know it now, life gets much easier the more that you know that is solid and steadfast. Because now you're not thrown every which way but loose. Now you're not relying on what the pastor says up front every week, and you're having to take him at face value and say, well, that must be it because he's the one in charge. I've taken, I've taken over churches from people that were blasphemous. Bill and I were talking about that beforehand. That basically they were so illiterate to what scripture said that they took whatever he said and because it just shifted a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, everyone thought, well, hey, this is where we started, so this is, must be where we're at, so we're still in good line. But no one questioned it. No one said, how does this match up to scripture? How is your authority along the lines of what God's authority is that he has given to you? Is this church about you or is it about God? And that's really the the struggle I've ever had in any congregation, in any denomination, or anything else, is when I look at scripture and I look at how things are run and those two do not mesh together, my thought is scripture needs to be adhered to above and beyond anything that we have as tradition or rules or regulation or whatever else. And the problem is I'm often disagreed with out the door, but I still believe it. I still believe that if, you, if someone seriously sins against you, someone sinning against you is not that they have a standard of life that you don't agree with. God's love and God's forgiveness needs to bring them back in because our job is to bring people in and to disciple people, not to weed them out. We are not to be fishers of men that when we pull in the, the, the stock net, that we decide, nope, I don't like that one. Don't want that one. That one doesn't fit. Nope, too big of a mouth. There's lots of fish too big a mouth sometimes in our, in our nets, right? We have to stop taking away the authority of God for God's job. I've always said there was a, there was a, a preacher slash comedian that said he, was, he told a, a story that he was going through, through Texas and he got about 2 o'clock in the morning, he said he always gets some preacher from Brownsville. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but you got some preacher from Brownsville. Hallelujah, friends and neighbors. This spiritual broadcast is being brought to you by the Purple Plastic Company of Amarillo, Texas. For, with every purchase, you get a, a, a plastic Jesus sitting on your dashboard. And with, with more of this, you can get more things that will clean the, 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 the Satan off your dishes. Hallelujah. And it's like, you know... If I were God, I wouldn't have called him, is the phrase he uses. And he says, I guess that's a good thing. I'm not God. 
We need to stay in our lane because God is all powerful and we're to be taking his marching orders, not giving God what we want to be doing. There are many times where I have done things I didn't want to do. But that got me to a place where I was doing what I was called to do. All of us seek to be pew sitters because it's easy. And the fact is that the harvest needs workers. We are beyond the time when we are called to sit and do nothing and think that we have no no abilities whatsoever. I will tell you, there is not a one of you here that has not exhibited scriptural authority spiritual gifts in some way, shape, or form. And some of you are still not living it out. Now, you're living out other things, so I'm not going to say you're not, you're, you're just lumps on a log because you're here and I like to have an audience. But there are things that we think that God cannot possibly use us for. And I will tell you that years ago, when I could not get out of bed in the morning and I would go to the latest service there was at church, that God called me to be a pastor in churches that would start at 8 o'clock in the morning that required me to get up at 6 o'clock, I was like, God, are you sure you did the right thing? I don't get up early. My alarm clock doesn't go that early. But he said, well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I should do. So here I am. We can argue with God as much as we want. But the question is, do we drive ourselves nuts avoiding what God wants us to do because we're doing what we want to do? That's Satan. That's, that, that's Satan taking that little bit that says, you need to rest. Now, I'll tell you what. We've, we already talked about last two weeks ago when we brought out the whole thing of Elijah and whatever else. God is is instrumental in a nap sometimes. I'm not saying don't be, don't be resting. I think one of the greatest things I ever learned as a pastor was to go off somewhere and pray. Sit doing nothing except praying, which is everything that I needed to be doing. The rest of the church would be going, where's Pastor Bracken? He's supposed to be visiting people. He's supposed to be setting up this meeting. He's supposed to be doing this, doing, 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 doing. And I was running myself ragged, and I didn't know where God had, had any plans for this because I didn't have time to pray. And I'm so thankful I'm not at that church anymore. But the fact is that we need to be people of prayer. Prayer is the first line of defense. Because when we set our, when we set our eyes, when we set our ears, our mind, our hearts, our souls, our entire being in God's presence first... Nothing else is allowed in, and we can allow God to inform it and cleanse it out and get rid of it. I think one of the greatest things I ever learned in a, in a congregation, and given I, them, them and me, them and I, them, we have a love-hate relationship. And I've, I've said before, it has to be a really good reason for me to walk into certain churches. But I will tell you the one thing that I miss is the idea of confession. We don't come to the idea that we have done anything wrong. We do not analyze or look at or have anyone poke and prod the bear that maybe there is something that is keeping us from doing God's will because we're letting it sit there because we think it belongs because, you know, God's not kicked us in the, in the teeth with it as a result of that. 
there's a lot of times when I would hear those prayers and I'd be going, wow, I did that. The, the one thing uh, that, that, listen, you know the Lord's Prayer, right? The one thing I always had the hardest time was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we've already talked, I've had an unforgiving heart on a lot of times because I was hurt and I was angry and I was jilted and I was upset and I was embarrassed and I and I and I and I and I. And God said, I got a plan for it, but you need to get back to what is the standard and the standard is that I'm going to be the one holding wrath, so you just need to get out of, my, out of my job. Get out of my chair. We routinely will take in things that we don't even realize we take in. It is important for us to not give Satan so much authority that we let him in and we stop realizing he's sitting there the whole time and we're just chatting away all these things and we're saying, well, this must be it. And we're not keeping our mind focused on, is this what God would say? Do you know how hard it is in your, in your mindset to be doing a job that has nothing to do with scripture, but in your mind the whole time is, is this how God would want me to speak to this person? And let me tell you, there's a lot of times God is saving me from, from losing my job because there's a lot of dumb people. And I, every once in a while, I'm the one of them too. But to constantly see that your ability to be where you are, that God has placed you where you are, and to be a minister and an ambassador to spread his love does not have a limit just because you're talking about someone's uh, credit. Sorry, you didn't anticipate that, did you? Credit. But you know how many times a day that some, someone will come in and call in and they just lost their spouse. And I go off. Let me tell you, in six years, I have probably been recorded several times talking about losing a spouse and caring about them and, you know, take care of yourself and let someone else in so that they can help you because your brain doesn't work right and whatever else to really feed their soul that someone actually knows what they're talking about and it has absolutely nothing to do with their credit except how to avoid some scam artist taking advantage of you because they figured out you were a widow. But God is there because I don't say, well, this is, this is not the job. This isn't what they told me to do. This is, this is it. The more that we, that we say, this is all I got to do, the more we give Satan ability to say, well, I'm going to control all these other things because you're not giving God everything that's there. You're just giving him these little bitty things. You're excluding God out. You're letting God in and, and getting into like a room. That room looks really nice. Okay, this is the room, and God doesn't belong there because that's my job. Let me tell you, my job is reaching out to people on a daily basis across, across a computer just to be able to talk to them and be able to, to minister to them where everyone else has failed them. Now, that's not about me. That's the fact that God put me in a position that I have hated this job and wanted to, wanted to, to quit this job seven times over in six years. But God keeps making things a little better so that I will stay. And I stay because I've got nowhere else to go. Because I don't get paid to do this, probably. When we give Satan ability over those little things that we let in, 
that we let the newspaper inform our, our Christian heritage, when we let the, the other people around us inform our opinion of God, when we let everyone else come in from the outside and say, you know, no one likes someone that, that talks about faith all the time. No one likes this. And we become a people pleaser. Satan, all he has to do is keep us off center and away from what God wants us to do. Distract it. And that's not his power. He has no power. We are all too willing, a participant, to let him do it. Amen? Our challenge in the church, and we we keep saying we want to see people saved, we want to see people coming to to worship, we want to see, see people set free from their sins, and we it has to start with us because it's those little things that we let infect our lives. We let it infect our spirit that let it steal our joy because we have given Satan too much control and too much authority. There are several things if we would get out of our own way and decide that it must be some spiritual uh, authority that's coming in and we're helpless to to deal with it because, uh, because God and Satan are duking it out. I got news for you. The only thing that Satan wanted out of Job was for his spirit to stop praising God. For him to say, God doesn't love you anymore because otherwise he wouldn't let you suffer. The The greatest testimony, I think, out of the book of Job is the fact that God trusts Job so much in his righteousness and his uprightness and his integrity, he knows that Job has so much integrity that it does not matter what you do to Job, he will still praise me because I am worthy to be praised. Because even if everything else is out of there, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord is going to come in and he will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den and he starts praying knowing that yes, those lions could eat him. But he was still going to do whatever it was to be righteous before God's eyes because that is what mattered. We need to seek out the righteousness of God to be in our spirit and stop looking at what makes everyone else happy or what makes us popular. We want to be, you want to be revolutionaries? You want to be rebels? Be rebels for the things that the world doesn't understand. Be rebels for the things that, that people don't understand why you pray for someone that you cannot stand. I've even learned to pray for my little brother, and he's a pain in the neck all the time. But God knows that no one else is going to pray for him if I don't. Well, okay, Deronda prays for him. But I decided maybe someone else ought to, too. You see, he's got two kids that have been raised in a non-Christian home. He let everyone else inform his, his opinions and whatever else. And I, when I came back from, from seminary, from, from a, a job, or what I, I think out of ministry, him and his friend were in the basement, and they were spouting things like, well, I think this about God and whatever else. And I'm like, huh. And at that moment, it was like, God, do I throttle them with what is so stupid about what they're saying? Or do we invoke that don't argue with fools? And I went for a don't argue with fools. 
Because there's a lot more to be lost in arguing with a fool and telling him how stupid he is that's never going to get him to come back to God than just leaving him alone and letting somehow God pull this back in at some point in time because he's going to come back around because he's not so arrogant any longer and something's going to come back. My brother lives day by day just figuring out whether he's going to die because his brain upends on him. Because he's drunk so much and done so many drugs now and everything else to do it. But when he calls, when he texts, when he writes, when he does whatever else to interact, it doesn't matter. Because the fact is that my job is not to be judge, jury, and executioner to tell him how he, how he brought it on himself or whatever else. Because the fact is, I want him to get saved. I want him to go to heaven because in heaven I want him to be a lot less annoying. And that annoying twerp has made me a better person just because I had to stop being right in order to do what was right. See, that's Satan when we, when we want to be right. We, we want to do it at all costs. We want to be the, the right one. We have, want to have the right thing to say. We want to be able to pull Scripture out and, and yield, wield it around and make people see how smart we are. I'll tell you what, there's, I don't think there's anything in Scripture that makes me think that wielding it around like a sword, other than against Satan, is anything that I'm supposed to be doing. Because it calls me into a, into a tension where I can be righteous and humble at the same time. Where I can do what is right, and in order to be right, I'm doing what's right instead of the other way around. Because whenever I want to be right... I'm going to pull in whatever it is so that I can win. I got told a long time ago, we do not win souls. God wins souls. Because God has the the goods to win the souls. He just wants us to be the instruments that help win those souls. And the only way that we're going to be instruments to win souls is if we are obedient to his will. If we are, what was the, the words that were used? I know. I need thicker pages. Maybe I should have rethought this getting a fire Bible because it's got thin pages. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. What would it be for us to just be a blameless, upright man or woman who fears God and turns away from evil? That every time that Satan whispers in our ear, you know, you deserve it, or they don't work hard enough, or, or they're, they're wrong, or they just want to sow this or that, or they want to do whatever else, that instead we went back to Scripture and said, what is true? In one of Paul's, Paul's epistles, and I can't remember, I think it's Philippians, <laughs> It says, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is righteous, adhere to those things. Focus on those things. I'm not always Paul's biggest fan in, in some cases because I think he's just Paul. You know, he just, he goes a little, little far off. 
that we, can, that we can track everything because he was in a specific culture and telling them specific things that were specifically needed there but are not necessarily universal across the board because then, then that's when we get that tension and maybe even a little contradiction because Paul was talking about what God wanted to do in that place. And one of the greatest things I learned was one time going into a church and realizing that just because the church gives you a sermon on what they do doesn't mean you need to be with you need to be like them in order to get the same results. We have to be those kinds of people as well. We have to stop looking at everyone else and what they're doing. I told you before that I, I sometimes didn't think I was going to be a very good pastor because I didn't have pastor hair. The problem is I apparently have pastor hair now and doesn't serve me any good, but we have to stop looking at everything else outside of there that is worldly, that is superficial, that is surface, depth only, and get into the heart of God in his word. I've been reading out of the New Testament, and I thought the New Testament was some, would probably be some of the most boring stuff ever. Let me tell you, when you do three different sermons on, on Old, Old Testament scriptures that you've never done in your life before, it's got to be a little, little bit interesting at least. But I didn't know it. I, my, my life is so much more rich reading through three books of the Bible that I thought would just be boring because I already knew enough about David and I knew about, enough about Saul and whatever. I didn't know nothing. And you know what I, what, as much as I didn't know about Solomon and David and Saul and, and Samuel and all the others that were around, I didn't know enough about God either. Because God was in the midst of that entire, that entire telling of being faithful and true and what was, what was necessary and what was good and what was called upon and what was sinful and what was basically Satan coming in and pulling things off because David said, well, I'm the king. Wrong. We need to stop accepting the idea that just because we're saved means that we, that we are God's favorite. We remain in God's favor because we continue to seek to be in God's favor by seeking to be righteous and upright and without blemish because we are grounded in the scripture. We are fearful of God and turn away from evil. It is an action. One of the, one of the, the greatest things, and I'll, I'll leave us with that, is we talked about that helmet of salvation. How many of us walk with a helmet of salvation every day? That it's not an event that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, or however long it was that, we, that, that God saved us, but that we walk daily in that salvation away from everything else that, that God saved us from. It's sort of like when you're still treading water in the ocean, just because God threw you a life, life preserver doesn't mean it's smart to take it back off. Just because you got saved, and now you can swim a little better, so you take it off and keep treading water, but eventually your lungs are going to fill up because you can't swim that well. That's why you had the life preserver. That's why God needed to rescue you from the rest of the world. The, the one thing that, that was one of the hardest truths to, to really put into to words uh, in my ordination, and I, and I want to say, when I mention ordination and churches and seminary and whatever, I'm not trying to tell you I'm smarter than the rest of you. I, I, got, I got yelled at several times. That is not it. That's my walk. That's where I've been. And I think about half of what I got out of seminary is garbage 
But I got some good skills out of it that God really used, and the rest of it I just tossed away because it, I, I decided what wasn't godly wasn't belonging with me and in ministry. But I come back to this. The question was asked, what is your understanding of the nature of humanity and the divine nature of God and the, 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 the need for divine salvation? And, of course, out of the, the Great Awakening, which is the, the, the Wesleyan concept, it was the idea that, that man is utterly depraved, that we are born into sin, and that we are unable to save ourselves from it. Because we will constantly choose, as we've been talking about, we will constantly choose what is evil, what is convincing, what is convenient, what is comfortable. We will choose something that makes us feel good, but not actually change us, so that we are perpetually in this, in this cycle where we are constantly seeking our own will and struggling to find out what's going on. That is the need for divine grace is because God is the only one. Jesus Christ is the only one. The Holy Spirit is the only one in the Trinity to be able to save us because his ways are not our ways. And that is the bottom line for it. That's the whole nature of this, is that when we get Satan power, we're, we're putting back in that our way is better than God's way. Because that's, that's, that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to worship him. We think of Satanists as, you know, uh, you know, worshiping goats and whatever else that comes out and, and sacrificing babies. And I don't know what, what all they do. I've never hung around a lot of Satanists. But they want to paint this idea. And the idea of a Satanist is someone that simply seeks their own will. And the problem is that we too often seek our own will. And we, and we slap Jesus' name on it and say, well, Jesus loves us and I'm a Christian. And so whatever I do is covered under this blanket of salvation. And so it, so it suddenly puts this magic wand and every, every earthly, stupid, human being thought that, that crosses our mind is now somehow magically sanctified because we said it. No, no, no. That's why this, this book was not written by me or you. I love you all a lot, but I don't care what your, <laughs> what your thoughts are for life because you're not God. Amen? If we want the power of God in our lives, if we want the authority that God gives us as Christians, we have to take down our imperfect selves off the altar, off of the throne... Stop desiring to be worshipped and accept the fact that the only way we will ever reach what God has meant for us to do is to stop insisting that we do what we want to do. Amen? We have to stop putting ourselves down as well because that's the other part. That's not going to let you into a whole other sermon. But the other part is that somehow we, we give ourselves too little credit. Because, see, if we are children of God, if we are the children of the Most High, if we push everything out that Satan wants to put in us, we work towards what's called sanctification. That perfection that we will reach in this lifetime because God has said, be perfect as I am perfect. 
be perfected in love, be perfected in grace, be perfected in faith, be perfected in mercy, be perfected in patience and self-control, that all of these things that you are so enwrapped in being in the Spirit's presence, in God's presence, in God's favor, that nothing else holds a candle to it. So that whatever Satan's going to come in and say, you need to be insecure because you're, you're, you're not good. That, that, whole, that whole being depraved thing, you see that whole being depraved thing is because when we become saved, if we, if we continue to, to seek to walk in that, walk with that helm of salvation, we no longer live in the, in the world. We no longer live in that depraved state that we're locked to it. We're no longer the, the Christian that, that just has, a, has a, a, a cloak on that makes us look Christian, but we know that what's inside is really still depraved. That's not it. David said a few weeks ago that, that if, the, if the spirits, well, he, he said that, that if, we are, if we are made new in the spirit, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And the power of Satan is only that we continue to keep coming down off the altar with ourselves instead of leaving our sinful selves off the, all, up there and letting God sanctify us with those coals, with everything else that God wants to do. I want us to be a church of, pow- of God's power at work in us. That when we come to worship, that our first thought is to be in God's presence. And that when we are in God's presence, that everyone else that we see around us is going to be made to be in God's presence because we are taking God's presence with us. We need to stop looking at, well, I don't do this right, or I don't know, and I, I've, I haven't been here long enough, or, or I, you know, I don't have the right words. Let me tell you, some of the greatest things I've ever heard were people that, that had no idea what the Bible said, but they were so in love with Jesus that they could figure out how to tell me that they love me. You don't have to have the greatest knowledge in the world. You don't have to have all the power in the world. You have to have a heart that beats for God to do what God wants you to do, to be who God wants you to be because he gave his son to die for our sins so that we didn't carry that garbage anymore. Amen? Stop letting Satan bring it back in and tell you you're worthless. Stop letting Satan come back in and tell you that, that, you've, that he's got a hold on you because he ain't. Because he is not all-powerful He is not all-knowing, and he is not everywhere. So stop inviting him, stop giving anything to him, and stop listening to him. Can we pray? Holy God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we call you to this place. We call you to our lives. We call you into our spirit. We call you to call us to obedience. We call you to call us to righteousness. We call upon you to cleanse us of all those things that we have let Satan deceive us with all these times that are still sitting in the nooks and crannies of our lives. We pray that you would reveal within us
what is not you. We pray that you would reveal within us any little thing that would, that would be a cancer to our soul, that would be a cancer to our witness, that would be a cancer to our spirit, so that your Holy Spirit may reign in us. And not only reign in us, but go with us. Speak through us. Power us with all the might that God Almighty gives to us and wills for us. Let us be apostles. Let us be teachers. Let us be preachers and prophets. Let us be people that work mercy. Let us be people that will, that will act out, that will sacrifice of our very lives and our very existence so that you may be glorified, so that your church may be grown so that it may be strong and powerful, so that it may go to the nations and tell of your forgiveness, your grace, your love, your righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would keep us always in your word, that you would draw us to it, that we would hunger, that we would thirst for it like nothing else that we hunger or thirst for. Lord, give us full stomachs of your will. Give us full minds of your your knowledge. Give us full lives of your power. This day, this time, this hour, this minute, we no longer give Satan the control of our lives because he is not worthy. He is a liar. He is a deceiver, and we are done. We are done sitting powerless because we have given him our power. We are taking it back. We are granting him exit from our lives. We ask that you would constantly draw us back to the standard that you have given to us. We pray that you would continue to remind us that you would gnaw at us everything that is not of your will, of your knowledge, of your grace, so that we might testify to anyone around us in whatever way that we can, to whoever we can and would listen that they would have ears, that we would have the words that you have given to us because we are so hungry for your word and your will that we will accept no substitutes. We pray that your power be in this church, that those of us that are here, we are few, but we are yours. That you would drive us to be so busy in your will that we will not be busied with anything else except bringing your kingdom here, about bringing your will, about praising your name, about worshiping you as the only one who is worthy of worship in our entire lives. I pray that you would give us the discernment to know when we are being deceived because your, your word is so bold in our lives, in our spirit, that we would know immediately that it does not belong, that it is not of you, it is of this world, and it does not belong in us because we are your creation. We are your people. We are your children. 
and we will set before us a task that you have given to us to reach the nations, to preach the word, to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, to make disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we will stop at nothing until all the world hears and knows of your greatness and your love. Be with us, drive us, set our hearts on fire for you. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Say anything to you? I just felt a tidal wave go right up out. Let go all the way to the back and come back. Ooh, I like that one. Ooh, don't you I like that? And just knock everybody on stage just flat out. Lord, say anything to you? Feel anything? Sis? Stirring your search since Sunday. there was more there than we didn't take it for enough. So I asked God to bring her back. I did. So that we can have contact and pray for her again. But I believe that it wasn't a complete job. I believe there was healing took place, some deliverance took place, but I also believe there was more embedded in her. Now, I don't know if that's the right words, but anyway, it did. But I like what you said. I'm going to accept that. That's from God. I do. I, I, I believe that's a prophetic spirit, and that's a word from God. I do believe that. See, if we expect nothing, we get nothing, right? Isn't that what happens? Isn't that it? But what are we doing here? We're expecting more and more and more. We're asking God for more and more. And God's getting ready to do something. So we need and it. We ready. Ready. Well, I like that, too. I'll keep that. I like that. I like that. How about you? God say anything to you? Anything you would like to see? Say it. 